just curious, any of you guys in here feeling a little chilly? Is it cold for you in here? It's a little, little bit. All right, if you're watching online, uh, you may want to go ahead and bring the temperature down in your house. There's a reason why we have it so cold in this room, because we believe the fire of the Spirit of God is about to come, and we, we want to get ready for it. So you might want to take the jacket off, get ready. The Spirit's going to move. That's what we're counting on. So I've got to be honest with you. Uh, I am I'm sensing God doing something unusual in this church. I, I heard about it last week. I, wasn't, I didn't get to be here. I was preaching at Grand Prairie in English at 930 and then at South Oaks at 11, but I just heard about a move of God at the end of the service and people staying around to be prayed over in the Spirit of God moving last week. And I was so delighted to hear that God moved among, a little sad to miss it, but delighted to hear about it. But, but you don't know what I was experiencing. So I was over at South Oaks, and I preached, and the Spirit of God descended upon that place. It was, it was the craziest thing. I finished preaching, and I, I stepped down, and immediately two young ladies walk up, and they say, well, we need Jesus. We need to be saved right now. Like, just like, oh, I mean, it wasn't even like an evangelistic message. It, it, was, it was just like they were ready. They were ready before they even got there, ready. And I look over on the side, and there are people praying all over the place. I look over on the side, and there's another guy coming down, and he's, he's all tatted up. He's a guy I, I learned later we've been praying for for years because I know his parents. And he came up to Matt Hunter, who's the South Coast campus pastor, and said, I, I need to be saved. And it was just like people just saying, I'm, I'm ready. And it, it lasted, so I might be a little long on the sermon maybe, a little bit long. But let me just go ahead and put things in perspective. We're supposed to be done at 1210. We were done at 1240. And no one even cared because the Spirit of God was just moving and moving and moving. And I believe he's, he was doing that in a way that no one could take credit. So he's moving over here with Pastor Gary. He's moving over at Grand Prairie. He's moving over to South Oaks. All different preachers, all different rooms, different worship bands, different people. And he's saying, I'm just moving because my spirit wants to move. And, and here was what was so cool about it. I had the opportunity, God, in, just in his grace, allowed me to pray a prayer on Thursday the week before. And I, I was journaling in my, my prayer journal, and I had just written, God, I, I feel like you telling us your spirit's about to move. I would just love to see a spark. God, would you, just, would you let us see a spark? Totally forgot I even wrote that. And then we have this movement of God at the services, and I get back on Tuesday and I open up my prayer journal, and I'm praying, and I read it, and I realize, holy cow, God, he answered that. He gave us a spark, but a spark is the beginning. I believe there's a fire that's coming and he wants us to get ready for it. I believe that today it's going to keep on going in a message that doesn't seem conducive to a spark. I believe God wants you to be ready. I believe he wants you to come with your hands open, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, doesn't matter. Hands and heart open saying, God, have your way with me. Because I believe he will. But I got a message today that starts in an odd place. And I want to make sure I give myself time to tell it. So the, the first question I have for you to, to really be ready for the message today is this. Do you struggle with the ability to say no sometimes when people ask you to do something? Okay, I, I, I really want to like, you know, there's, there's certain people that just struggle when they get asked to do something. They kind of just always say yes. If you're one of those people that struggles to say no, would you, would you raise your hand and just confess it and admit it? Look at that. All you people, you didn't want to raise your hand, but you couldn't tell me no, so you raised your hand in the air. All of us, we, we got issues. I, I know there are some of you didn't raise your hand in the air, but the whole time we're going, talking about you, you're looking over your spouse and going, you got that problem. The only person you can say no to is me because you say yes to everybody else. So, so many of us, we either are one or we're married to one. 
or we want to be married to one, you know, depending on where you are in life. But it's, it's interesting the quantity of people who struggle to say no. And let me tell you where most people believe it's born from. I'd agree with them. It's, it's born from this desire to people please. Like if, if I say no to somebody, they might get frustrated. They, they, might, they might not come back to me when they need help, and they might not like me. And I don't know how I feel about people not liking me, and so I'm going to say yes over and over and over again. And, and it actually is one of the things that people most like about you, that, that you always say yes you're going to be there. So we all want friends like that. It's 1 a.m. with a person we're going to call and we know they're going to be at our doorstep helping us out. They're going to bring us a meal. They're going to help us. They're going to bring their truck over. They're going to be there to serve us. We know they're going to be Johnny on the spot. We love friends like that. We love friends like that until they tell us yes. And then when it's time to help us, they say no because they said yes to somebody else. And all of a sudden we realize there are limitations to what we can say yes to. And there are so many people who struggle to say no, and their plates are overflowing, and they think they're helping everybody, but they're not. They are overwhelmed. They want to say no, but they're scared to death to do so. And what they haven't discovered, what we haven't discovered, is every one of us in this room has the exact same amount of hours in our day. No one gets like 27 hours to get more done while someone else has got like 21. We all have 24 hours. We all need sleep. We all have limitations. And when you keep shoveling more and more on your plate, more and more just falls off. And the problem is when you're haphazard about it, you end up saying no to the right people and yes to the wrong people. And your life ends up getting dictated by those people. And I believe what the Lord wants to teach you to do is to learn that two-letter word, no. In fact, I believe there is nothing more Jesus-like that you could do than to tell someone else no. Which I, I bet, like if you're really starting to think about it, you're going, that, that doesn't sound like Jesus to me. Because Jesus sounds like the dude who would always say yes. I mean, he's a savior of the world. He's come to the world to, to minister to people and to help people. Wouldn't he like always make time for people? I mean, that's, that seems like the Jesus way. But if you actually go read your Bible, don't, don't follow like a self-conceived idea of Jesus. Go read the four gospels. You'll see how many times he walked away from the masses. And what Jesus is showing us is that he knew how to say no. In fact, there's a fourth characteristic that I, I want you to write down as we go through this journey, the 12 characteristics of Jesus, so we can learn to live more like Jesus. It's an odd one, but an important one. And here's what it is. Jesus invested deeply in very few. That, that was his mantra, his mindset. He invested his life deeply and heavily in very few people. So if you think about it this way, I almost wrote the, the characteristic this way. Jesus chose to be an inch wide and a mile deep when so many of us choose to be a mile wide and an inch deep. He knew that if he was going to change the world, it was going to happen by choosing to say no to the masses so he could say yes to the right people, limit his focus, invest himself in these people as deep as he possibly could. That was the way he's going to change the world. Go back and read the Gospels with this mindset. I think you'll be shocked by how many times the crowds are pressing against him and he says, I got to go. And he just leaves, abandons them over and over and over, saying no to the masses with his actions over and over and over. One of the best examples of this comes in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. Go ahead and open your Bible up, if you will, to the Gospel of Mark. That's the second book in the New Testament. You got Matthew, then Mark. 
We're going to be in chapter 3. Now, before we jump in, I want you to know what's already taken place by the time we get to the third chapter of Mark. A lot has happened in chapters 1 and 2. So he has already been seen to be a miracle worker. In chapter 1, he goes to the city of Capernaum, and he's healing people like crazy. And they're just bringing in the whole village to him. He's healing hundreds, if not thousands of people in that village, and that he keeps going and going and going. So now they know his power, but it says the next day he gets up, he's praying all by himself, and he goes, guys, we got to leave. I've come to go preach the gospel all over the place. He just leaves the masses. But as he goes, he keeps doing more and more miracles as he goes about. So then he's, there's this guy who's paralyzed, and he says, get up and walk. And the paralyzed dude gets up and walks. They see his power. He casts out a few more demons. And then at the beginning of chapter 3, the first miracle he does is right in the middle of the synagogue with all the Pharisees watching. He sees a guy who's got a withered hand, and he says, come over here. And he says, what do you want? Do you want your hand to be healed? And he says, yes. And right there in front of everybody, bam, heals the guy's hand. So all could see it public miracle. And at this point now, everybody wants a piece of Jesus. He is the it man, and the crowds are flocking to him. Listen to what it says. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. It says, Jesus withdrew withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Now stop there for a moment. So he's setting up the scene here. They're seeing his power and his miracles. They're pressing in upon him. They, they want a peace. And it's not just in Capernaum. It's not even just in Galilee. Now they're coming from, from Jerusalem all the way up to Galilee to see this guy, Jesus. From Idumea, they're coming from outside and Sidon and Tyre. These foreigners are coming in because they've heard of this guy, Jesus, and they all want a piece of him. They want to be with him. Now listen, here's what's interesting about this moment in Jesus' life. He is fully aware that he wants to change the world. He is about to ignite a spiritual revolution that is supposed to go worldwide. He knows in order to change the world, he's going to need followers. And so you would think that he would try to capitalize on his successes at this moment. So if Jesus had a PR agent, let me go ahead and tell you what that agent would say. They would say, all right, now's the time to build the Jesus brand. All right, we got, we got uh, some, some shop back over there in Peter's house, and we're going to get some what would Jesus do t-shirts going, maybe some wrist bracelets. We're going to start marketing these bad boys. All right, Jesus, we just want you to go out and work the crowd. Just go hug some necks, kiss some babies. But we're going to create, just keep healing people. We're going we're gonna to make some raving fans of you, Jesus. And the Jesus brand is going to just skyrocket. This is going to be amazing. We're going to have village after village coming after you. We're going to start a movement, Jesus. That would have made sense to build the Jesus brand, and yet that's the exact opposite of what Jesus does. In fact, he he wants to make sure no one knows who he really is. Look at the next two verses. Listen to what happens in verse 11. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. He said, guys, don't you, say, don't you tell a word of who I am. Now, i gotta, I got to pause here for a moment. I, I don't know if you guys read the Bible the way I read it, but there are certain times I read the Bible and I'm going, why did you do that? It just doesn't make sense to me. Have you noticed that? Like, read the Gospels again. Look at all the times when Jesus heals somebody and says, don't tell anybody. Just, just go back and live well. Don't tell anybody. And I'm going, Jesus, tell everybody. Make my job easier if they already knew it. Like, just tell everybody. Why would we not tell people? 
I mean, wouldn't it be a good thing for them to know that Jesus is the Son of God, that even the demons are testifying that he's the Son of God? Like, doesn't that seem like a good thing? And the answer is yes and no. Yes, it's good for the right people to know it. No, it's not good for the wrong people to know it. And what Jesus is teaching us may sound harsh, but he's teaching us that not everybody is equally worth our time and attention. He's showing us through this means and through what he does that some people are worth our time and other people just aren't. I know that sounds harsh, but don't take my word for it. Look at the actions of Jesus. He's choosing not to let known who he is so the, the masses don't continue to flock to him more and more or the wrong masses don't. And then look at what he does in the next verse, in verse 13. All the crowds are pressing against him. They all want a piece of Jesus. This is his moment. And look at how he just escapes. Verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. So you, you, you might not understand the real meaning of what he's saying when it says those whom he desired. It's an odd statement in the English Standard Version. But the word in Greek is thelo. It means to want. So it's literally saying he escaped to a mountain and only took those who he wanted to go with him. And you're going to discover that's 12 people. And in doing this, he says no to the thousands of others who'd flock to him. And he says, I'm not giving you my time. You 12, I'm giving you my time. And Jesus is showing us something here. And I know there are parts of this. We read him and go, sounds like way too exclusive of Jesus. Like he's just, he's just turning so many people down. But what Jesus is showing us is he knew how to say no to the wrong people in order to say yes to the right people. See, he knew something that we forget over and over and over again. And it's that we can make such a greater difference if we'll invest more of ourselves in fewer people than invest few of ourselves in a bunch of people. A mile wide and an inch deep doesn't change us or anyone else. But an inch wide and a mile deep, that can change the world. And Jesus knew this. And so he said, because I know this to be true, I'm going to say no to the wrong people so I can say yes to the right people. And he calls them to be with him. Guys, we have to learn how to do this too. Again, I want to be blunt with you. Not every relationship is equally worth your time. There are people in your life that build you up, and there are people in your life that tear you down. And I'll bet you, you know which one is which. There are far too many people that invade our lives, and they don't have the faith that we have, and they don't encourage us to live godly lives. In fact, they encourage us to live ungodly lives. And we know it. We know the kind of influence they are on our lives. We know the negativity they bring. We know the, the gossip they bring with them. We know that they're poisoning us. But they keep coming back to us, and we're just not selective in who we spend time with. And, and, I, and I, I mean this especially for you guys, whether you're watching or in the room. You guys are the ones who live in, I, I live in this little sheltered bubble I mean, I, I work in an office where we pray together, we worship together, we, everything's about Jesus on the church staff. But so many of you, you work out in the real world where there are tons of people who will belittle your faith, who will try to cause you to live in a way that's not godly, and it's hard to handle that day in and day out. But these people will want more and more of you. And Jesus is saying, would you be wise enough to learn to say no to the wrong people to say yes to the right people. Now, I, I got a I time out. I got a caveat. There's two caveats I want to give you this morning because you could definitely misunderstand what I'm saying. 
So you got to listen to the whole message. Don't just truncate right here. Don't, don't turn off the message online right now because you're going to miss what I'm saying. Because you might think I'm saying, therefore, turn your back on the world, only huddle up with other believers and just be with you and let them all die and go to hell. But this is not what Jesus called us to do. We have a mission. You're going to hear more about it in a second. And we are supposed to take the gospel to the world around us. And we're supposed to find people who live ungodly lives and show them there's a better way. We're supposed to have a missionary mindset in how we live life. Absolutely. But so many of us make those haphazardly the primary relationships, the ungodly relationships, the the ones that tear us down and not build us up because we just have no intentionality. And so our faith is weak and we think we're going to go out and make believers of people who have no faith. And what he's trying to show us is we have to learn to invest our lives deeply in a few so they can invest deeply in us. And when, as we build our faith, so we can take our faith to others. But it starts with recognizing the people who are in our life. We have to learn to say no to the masses, to say yes to the few. This is exactly what Jesus is doing with his disciples. Keep reading on verses 14 and 15. Listen to the step he takes next. It says, and he, talking about Jesus, appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So the two parts to this thing. He says, he, he set aside his 12 as the ones he wanted to be with him. There's the exclusive side of Jesus taking the 12, invest deeply in these few. And he says he does it so that they may be with him. Now, it, it's interesting to note, like the key is to be with Jesus, but it's not with Jesus all by yourself. He's creating the first ever Christian community group right here, pulling together the 12 and saying, I want you to be with me together, not by yourself. Now, it's interesting because, you know, Jesus, he could have chosen a million different ways to prepare people to start this movement that would change the world. He could have said, okay, I'm going to spend time with you each individually, one-on-one. So, all right, Mondays is going to be the Peter day. Tuesday is going to be the John day. Then Wednesday is the James day. Then Thursday is the Bartholomew day. And then you know, Friday, the Thomas day. He could have just said, I want to spend time with you one-on-one, really invest in you. But that's not the mechanism he chose. He chose to have the 12 of them come together to be with him in community. And there's a reason why. Because, you know, in the context of that community, they would sharpen each other. They would be abrasive. They would create friction and they would, they would be able to transform each other. And he also knew he wouldn't be with them forever. And when they were gone, they were going to need to know each other. So he says, come with me. And you come together, and you look at the life of these disciples. Man, it was not easy. Have any of you seen The Chosen? Raise your hand if you've seen some of The Chosen episodes. Okay, it's really crazy. I, I, like, I really, really enjoy the way they depict the relationship, specifically of the disciples. Because you see what it looks like. I think it follows true with the pattern of what you see in the Gospels. You bring like a zealot, Simon the Zealot, together with Matthew, a tax collector, and the sons of thunder, John and James, and Peter with his attitude. You pull them together. There's going to be some friction and some fire. What's well, exactly what happened? They would belittle each other. They would bicker. They would argue about who's the greatest. All, all these things would take place among the disciples. And Jesus wanted it because he knew that when they fought with each other, but they still held arm in arm together, that they would grow. They would learn to repent. They would learn to forgive each other. They would learn to hold each other up. They would learn to have each other's backs. And the most important thing they would do is that when someone started to slip away, they would bring him and point him right back to the master. I mean, just look at what they did. What happened when Thomas was doubting? They came after him and said, no, Thomas, we've seen him. Come. What happened when Peter denied Jesus three times? The disciples go, no, Peter, come be with us. Every time when someone was starting to fail, they would grab him and bring him back. 
Jesus knew they needed to have this community together. And they weren't going to make it if they were a mile wide and an inch deep with a whole bunch of people. He said, no, 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 be an inch wide, be a mile deep. Let these be the people that you live life with. Let there be friction. Let there be forgiveness. Let there be power. Let them draw you back to the master over and over and over again. You need it. In church, he's saying the same thing to us. Now, this hadn't changed. We need it. We need pockets of community where people really get to know who we are, where we intentionally say no to the masses so that we can say yes to a few and invest ourselves heavily in a few and they can invest heavily in us. That's how we're going to be transformed. We need it. But, but I want to make sure you understand because I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to you about how to approach this community in a little bit. I want to make sure you don't hear, though, me saying you need to be a part of a social club. You need to be a part of a little holy huddle. That, that's not the call here. He's not calling us to be in these safe little groups where we just go watch movies together, maybe sprinkle a little Bible study in there and eat some meals together, and we're just happy to be together all the time. Now, I hope you have friends that you can go watch a movie with, eat a meal with. Those are really important things to have. I hope you have them, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a movement, and a movement means we can't just huddle up here and just turn our backs to the world and turn our, our faces toward each other and just be comfortable in our safe little community. There was always another purpose behind community. It was to be sent. Look, look back at the verses again. You see it very clear. There's a second so that. Verse 14, reread it. It says, and he appointed the 12, whom he also named apostles, so that, first one, they might be with him. And, now there's a, there's a couple words missing in the English version right here of the Bible that I'm reading that are actually present in the Greek. That same word, henna, which means so that, comes again. So it, it should literally read, so that they might be with him and so that he might send them out to preach. So that he might send them out to preach and cast out demons with his authority. So there's two so that's. So he pulls them aside from the masses so that they could be together with Jesus. That's community. So that he might send them out. There was always a second purpose behind community and that purpose was being sent out because Jesus understood that, that this motley crew of people together were the ones that were going to send this out to change the world. And if he didn't create leaders, this movement was going to fail. So community group was always intended to be a, a leadership incubator, not a holy huddle. And let me tell you what that means for us in this room. And I, I'm, going to be, I'm going to ruffle some feathers for some of you in this room. If you have been in the exact same group of believers... For the last 10, 20, 30 years, and you have not sent out to multiply, then you are missing the journey Jesus Christ has for you. Now, I'm not saying you're doing better than most if you have community. I'll tell you more about that in a second. And praise God, you've obeyed the first part. We're going we're gonna to be together. He's called us out so that we can be with him together in community. That's part one. But so many of you are missing the second so that. And you're missing part of the journey he has for you. He's given you this community so that you could take that community to somebody else. Because all around you in this room are hundreds of people who are struggling to find community. In this room, there are so many of you who after two years of a pandemic are struggling with depression, who are struggling with anxiety, who are struggling with isolation and frustration. And you wonder, does anybody see me? And, and, and online, there's even more. And you're going, I, no one can see me. I can't even see you through the screen right now. 
And, and you're going, does anybody even care about me? Does anybody see me? Does anybody know me? And we as a church have the answer. We have the means of finding these people all around us and say, I see you. I know you. Come be a part of community with me. I want you to see what it feels like to be known, to be supported, to be together with Jesus and watch how that transforms us. And we hold the keys to the change and movement of the people around us. And we must not just keep it trapped inside our little group because we like being together and we don't want anything to mess it up. Here's, here's what I'm inviting you to this morning. I'm inviting you into a movement. I'm not inviting you into a church program. I'm inviting you into a movement. Jesus wanted to change the world and he says, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to walk away from the masses. I'm not going to try to pub the brand of Jesus. I'm going to pull together a few. I'm going to invest myself deeply in them and I'm going to send them out to invest deeply in others. And this is the mechanism by which I change the world. And he's saying to you and to me, come join me in it. And I want to invite you into this kind of biblical community. Now, there's, there's a bazillion different ways that a church can do biblical community. There are hundreds and hundreds of people in this room right now. And so you can't all be in my group. I can't all be in your group. You're not going to get to know everybody. But what we're trying to do here as a church is follow the model of Jesus. It, look at what he did. He had a community group of a, 12 people, and maybe a few little straggler disciples who kind of hovered around with the 12. That was his group that he chose to do life with. And so here at Fielder, we're just trying to follow that model. We have community groups, and they're all different kinds. Some of them, they are bigger on-campus groups. Some of them are home groups that are, are small. But we try to go somewhere around the, the 10 to 15 range of it. And if it's a really big on-campus group, we try to make sure they have smaller pockets where they can be known and be cared for, where they have groups of somewhere about 10 to 15 people where they can rub each other, they can challenge each other, they can grow together, keep pointing them back to Jesus over and over and over again. And these community groups that we have are designed for us to, to gather together and fellowship, study God's word, serve together, do life together. And these are pivotal places inside the church. Now, on, on top of community groups, we have what are called discipleship groups, D groups. And these are really the, the second model that Jesus did. If you look at it, he also had Peter, James, and John. And he sent them aside, and he spent a lot of time with them, with just these three, and intentionally preparing them for leadership. And we, too, at the church, we have discipleship groups, where it's usually somewhere between three to five people, typically guys with guys, ladies with ladies, where they, they intentionally learn deeply, where they challenge each other. And these are pockets of community where we can be called out when we're straying from God, where we can be lifted up when we're discouraged, when we can join our faith with other people's faith. There's some groups that we have right here, and my favorite of all, they're called hybrid groups. They're like the Jesus group. So you got groups that meet for biblical community a couple times a month, and then the other couple times a month, they meet with D groups. And so they're accomplishing both during their weekly gatherings. That's, that's the way Jesus did. He had a hybrid group. And so we, we invite you to step into these types of, of places and spaces so that you can discover biblical community. But what I want you to hear most importantly is that you desperately need it. So, so two things before I tell you what to do with the sermon I've given you this morning that I need to say to you. And, and I feel uh, exceptionally hard-pressed to deliver these well. First thing I need you to hear is that in the 16 years of me being here at Fielder Church, I have never seen our community group numbers as low as they are right now. 16 years. 
and they're the lowest I've seen them. Now, you could blame the pandemic, okay? It's been a couple years of pandemic. That definitely, that's when everything plummeted and things got disrupted. But here's the, here's the little catch. You can look around the room and see our worship numbers have picked up to, to about pre-pandemic numbers in the room, but our community groups are still about a third of our average attendance on Sunday morning. So that means that two-thirds of you sitting in this room are not connected to any kind of genuine biblical community, at least not that we know of. Now, I know there's some secret communities. The Illuminati are all around over here in those secret communities. <laughs> but I still think the vast majority of you, you're not connected right now to biblical community. Many of you were. And then the pandemic disrupted your life. And you've always said, oh, I'm, I'm going to get back to it. I'm, I'm going to get back to it. I'm, I'm going to get back to it. And you just never have. And you don't have a D group community. You don't have a community group. You, you're not participating with others. And you are isolated. And let me tell you why this matters. You are so easily picked off by the enemy when you're alone. He can have a heyday with your mind because he implants lies and there's no one around you to call out those lies. There's no one around you to say that's not who you really are. There's no one around you to say you need to get up and obey God. I don't care if you're scared. There's no one around you to say you are loved. You are not forgotten. You don't have the people who can speak truth into you, breathe life into you, carry the burden with you. And you wonder why you're depressed and why you're anxious and why you're alone. Because you're not pursuing community. I don't want us to fall prey. I believe God is igniting a movement right now among us. And as long as we're divided and separated and isolated, he can stop, the, the enemy can stop the movement. But when we come together, he cannot stop it. And as your pastor, I'm asking you to say no more. It's time. Second thing, though, I want to say. I believe right now one of the hardest things you are going to do in your life is to say no to the wrong things, to say yes to the right things. And you are going to struggle to make biblical community a priority. Your temptation is going to be to just shove it onto your already overstuffed plate. All right, I'll get into biblical community. Jason made me feel guilty again. I'll sign up for a group, whatever. guess that's what good Christians do. And you, you are just going to skim off and you're going to abandon ship within a couple months. You are going to have to do some surgery on your life. There's going to have to be some amputation that's taking place in your life. You have said yes to so many things that do not really matter. You've said yes to so many people that do not lift you up. You are going to have to start saying no in order to say yes. You cannot shove biblical community onto an overstuffed schedule and think it's going to make a difference in your life. You have to be willing to invest yourself deeply in a few so they can invest themselves deeply in you. And that requires the discipline of learning to say no to the wrong people, to say yes to the right people. And it's going to be really, really hard. This is why I believe what I want to call you to do today is to respond in faith. I believe right now there is a war against hell itself, and I'm inviting you into that war. I'm not inviting you, like I said, into a church program. I'm not inviting you into a social club. I'm inviting you into the war against hell itself. And I want you to know the moment you say yes to biblical community, the enemy is going to come right after you. As long as you're isolated, you are no threat to his kingdom. 
He knows he can control you. But the moment you get in biblical community, he gets scared. And he will start telling you lies, and you don't need to do this. This isn't worth your time. Just don't, don't, don't listen. You're, you're fine just the way you are. And he's going to start feeding you lies so that you'll think you don't need it. And you have to right now declare, I will not believe the lies. I'm going to look at the model of Jesus. I'm going to see the way he did it, and I'm going to follow him. And if Jesus formed community, I need to be in community. If Jesus narrowed the scope, I need to narrow the scope. If he invested himself deeply in a few, I need to invest myself deeply in a few. I'm going to do it Jesus' way. I'm going to say yes. So I want to tell you now how we're going to do that. We have community groups, uh, leader all over. If you're a community group leader in this room, would you raise your hand real quick? Okay, we have a number of community group leaders around the room. So thank you guys. In a moment, I'm going to invite you all to fan out around the room, just somewhere around the room, because here's what we're going to offer you to do. If you're one of the two-thirds in this room, I'll tell you in a moment online what you're going to do, so just hang with me. If you're one of the two-thirds in this room and you're saying, uh, I, I need community, touche, Jason, you're right. I've, I've put it on the back burner. I don't have biblical community. I don't have a community group. I don't have a D group. I've just kind of been floating. I'm ready. What I'm going to invite you to do is to get up and go to one of these people to be prayed over. And let me tell you why. The enemy, like I said, will come after you and your only defense is a spiritual fight against him. We are going to join our faith with you and pray over you that, that the enemy would not have victory, that the, that the compulsion he's given you right now to join in the, in the community will be completed and you'll make it your priority, that you'll say no to the wrong things to say yes to the right things. Now, they're also going to have a little card. It's going to have a QR code. And you're going to take your phone over to one of these people and they're going to pray over you and then you're going to be able to scan the card. And when you scan that, it's going to let you fill out a real brief thing. Now, you're not, you're not necessarily joining that person's group. Unless you want to, you can tell them and join the group. But you're just going to somebody randomly so they can pray over you. And then they'll connect you. You fill out the form. It takes just a few seconds as you're leaving. And then we'll reach out to you. And we'll, we'll handhold you all the way into a community where you can be connected with other believers. But I want you to see this for what it is, a spiritual fight. So right now, if you don't mind, the leaders, I'm going to invite you to head over around the room. And, and there's one more thing, though, I'm going to invite. I'm going to invite the pastors to actually come down to the front. So we'll have pastors down front. So go ahead and make your way right now, if you don't mind. Uh, some of you may have to get up so they can get out. But pastors will come down front. The community group leaders just fan out all around the room. And, and I'll, I'll tell you guys in a moment when to move. But let me say this one last thing before we finish up. There are some of you who need to recognize this one truth. You might join community group or a D group thinking it's going to change your heart. Please hear me. Community group cannot change your heart. Only Jesus Christ can change your heart. You could go to community group seven days a week. You could join four different D groups. You can give yourself to it. It will not transform your heart. What makes community powerful is when people who have the spirit of Christ inside them come together. That's what makes it powerful. But there's only one way to get the Spirit of Christ. You get the Spirit of Christ by choosing Jesus over everything else. comes back to the very first thing I said. You have to learn to say no to the wrong thing to say yes to the right thing. Every one of us has a war going on. We have self rising up, and we have to learn to say no to self so that we can say yes to Jesus. What does Jesus say? He says, anyone who wants to be my disciple, they have to deny themselves. That means say no to self, pick up their cross, and follow after me. 
There comes a moment you have to say, I'm not going to be able to lead this life of mine. Jesus, I repent. Forgive me for being selfish and living for my own kingdom. Forgive me, and now I want to live for you. You come. You be my Lord. You be my leader. You follow him, and you're saved. And when you have the Spirit of Christ in you, that's when you can change. And so you may need today to have a moment where you say to Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready for you. I want my life to change. I want to start there. These pastors down front will be ready to pray with you and meet with you on that.